Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. And as we are crossing into the second half of 2021, wow, we're into July. Uh, gosh, a lot to think about over the last year that has played out. It was a year ago at this time that we were in the throes of COVID shutdown, cancel culture, trying to figure out what was going on uh, in the medical realm, getting conflicting information. The economy was being strained in ways we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, we have the wisdom of, of a year behind us now to kind of look at that, learn some lessons. But I think we also see, again, the election was layered into that very consequential. See, so of politics, we've got the medical situation, we have economy. And I might even say in the midst of that theology, we have the church and how the church responded to this. I will just take all of that and say we are in a consequential time to look at what has happened, where are we at now, and where are we going forward. And I want to, in a particular, we have a conversation tonight about, uh, if you will, our faith in light of money matters, in light of the economy, in light of jobs. Uh, these are significant things. If you read scripture, Jesus spoke very often about money. Money is sort of the way in which we're not angels. We're down here on earth and it's a means by which we transact by the way we survive. And Jesus used it very often. It's not inconsequential that on the dollar bill it says, in God we trust. So to have this conversation, I have two very good brothers in Christ, former guests, frequent guests on our program. We have Rich Cronin, who is a husband, father, owner of Cronin Auto Family, which is, I believe, five dealerships in Ohio area and in, also in Hillsdale, our beloved Hillsdale, where our, my brother's a professor and two children entering next year. And then we have Drew Blazik, a professor of economics and all around, I would say, scholar and gentleman, husband, father, and uh, very delighted to have these men to talk about this. So how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Very good. Thanks for having us. How are you doing? Awesome. Doing really good. So I think just to set this up, um, and then I'm going to ask us just kind of as a kind of maybe an icebreaker, get a little portrait of who our guests are here. Uh, I was struck by a conversation I had with Rich uh, perhaps two months ago, followed a Pentecost 365 men's gathering. And I said, Rich, what are you seeing? How are things playing out economically over the past year? What are some insights that you have? And I was really kind of stunned enlightened, if you will, uh, at some of his thoughts about this. And as he was speaking, I have to say, I was left with this impression that I got watching the very first Lord of the Rings. Now, it sounds maybe overly dramatic, but uh, Tolkien um, has this opening narrative and uh, Galadriel speaks this in this mystical way. She speaks in an elven tongue and there's this interpretation, but it's simply this. This is what Tolkien puts at the very outset of the trilogy, Lord of the Rings. The world has changed. I see it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was lost or is lost for none now live who remember it. So you have this setting, right, of this epic trilogy, Lord of the Rings, where uh, we know that forces of good and evil are conspiring, but very few are familiar with it on the good side. They don't know that Mordor is going down, that Sauron has turned to the dark side. And it seemed similarly after a year that we're experiencing, you know, things that we maybe relied on the past are no longer reliable, that forces of good and evil are coming and emerging and rearing their ugly heads. Pope John Paul II prophesied of this at the uh, second millennium in Philadelphia. He 
talked about the the end game, if you will, that we are approaching a time where things of consequence throughout all of salvation history are coming to bear. And that kind of struck me a little bit. Rich didn't say that. But as we were talking about the past year, as I was asking him about economic realities, as he was kind of talking, I don't have a clear picture on it, but we're trying to figure it out. Before we get to that point, maybe that's just a bit of a teaser. We're going to we're going to go into that in just a moment. But before we do, who are you, Rich Cronin? And how is give us some high, highlights from your summer? Oh, thanks, Greg. Yeah, I am uh, Rich Cronin. I am the owner of Perry's Brigada Mall and a couple other dealerships, as you mentioned. Um, I'm the father of three, the the husband of uh, my wife, Connie, for 20, uh, 25 years, 26 years. Um, and uh, so we have uh, three kids. Two have graduated from college now. One uh, is uh, going to be a, a sophomore at University of Toledo next year. So, uh, yeah, things are good at our house. Summer's good. I love summer. I love the warmth, and uh, it's good to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Any particular highlights? You have Maddie and Abby, your two eldest daughters, working in the mission grounds as Catholics in uh, Minnesota. Kind of nice that they're together, together, two different organizations. I always like to brag about them. I'm giving you yeah, permission so to brag my, about them. Well, my oldest daughter is a missionary for St. Paul's Outreach uh, in Minnesota. Uh, she's been there for a year. And uh, Minnesota would be the last place I would uh, want to go to, but uh, <laughs> she has absolutely loved it. And of mm-hmm. all things, my, uh, my daughter graduated from Franciscan, uh, Maddie graduated from Fran- Franciscan this year, and she is now a missionary for uh, Damascus uh, summer, uh, summer youth camps. And they are opening a camp in Minnesota, of all places. So I have two daughters in Minnesota, which is kind of crazy, but... Uh, the highlight of our summer is going to be a vacation we're going to have in August in Minnesota. So, again, probably the last place I'd ever think of vacationing, but it sounds like uh, a good time that will be had. So, Except yeah, for the Vikings, Minnesota is not a bad place. You know, that's actually I love Minnesota, the land of lakes. It's actually a beautiful area, but obviously rife with controversy following the George Floyd that sparked off all the tumult throughout the planet. And here we are, your daughter's being placed right in the epicenter of that, doing phenomenal transformative Catholic work. So that's that's pretty amazing. Drew Blazik, who are you? And give us some highlights of your summer so far. Hi, Greg. Um, Yeah, so I work at uh, Lord's University, a professor of finance, teach econ and finance there. Um, We have uh, a baby on its way. That's the highlight. Going to be born roughly around January 30th. So we have six. um, um, Our oldest child is uh, 10. Um, And we live in Holland, Ohio. And it's been pretty fun this summer. Uh, we went on a little vacation to uh, Kentucky and then Tennessee. Um, and we went camping in one little tent with all the kids. All the kids. Uh, <laughs> How did that work out? Uh, it was all right. I, I kind of <laughs> thought it might be smart to get another tent and kind of split up people. Or a but, bottle of bourbon since you're in Kentucky. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and we had a little leak in the tent. So um, some people woke up with a uh, sleeping in a puddle because it rained all week. But other than that, yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, I think that's uh, 
That's pretty much That's it. That's awesome. So just note for us this summer, Stephanie and I were very blessed to uh, have our eldest daughter married to Colin Stroud, a profoundly moving experience for us in the journey of seeing Annie own her faith. And we know as parents, until they die, we will be parents and journeying towards eternity. But just what a blessing to see the choices that she and Colin made and how they gave witness to the Trinity. And uh, then to find out last week, praise God, I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandpa. Uh, so I, I didn't know what that would feel like to be a grandpa, but yeah, we're, uh, Annie is pregnant, probably a sh- few short weeks right out of the gates with Colin and uh, so moving and how that, that really is sort of transformative, right? To be thinking about the responsibility we have as parents. We all remember when our child children were born, it, it does something transforming for us, but all the more as a grandparent to be mindful that we want our ceilings to be our kids' floors. And uh, really with that, let's launch into this program because that's what we're really all about Annunciation Radio and Good Catholic Ministry. You know, we want to just be attuned to God, the Father, in this moment to live it fully and to uh, cooperate with building the kingdom. So as I indicated in the beginning, may have sounded a little bleak, but uh, let's be honest, which of us have not felt a lot of the tumult in the past year, political, economical, ecclesial tumult going on. And um, so I've invited Rich and Drew to kind of paint a picture, to have the conversation about what they're seeing playing out, particularly in the economic sphere. And we as Catholics, of course, look through a theological lens. But I'm going to go back to where I was before uh, in my conversation that prompted a lot of this. Rich has a lot of insight. He's uh, at the helm there of his dealerships. He's uh, a leader in many different realms in our community, very helpful to many Catholic organizations. Um, and so I, I kind of asked Rich, you know, Rich, what are you seeing play out here? What, what's happening? And uh, I appreciated his candor. So let's just start there. Well, thanks, Greg. I mean, your introduction, you made me feel like I'm Frodo and I'm, <laughs> I'm a car dealer. I, you know, I, uh, I worked as a CFO for a dealer group for 17 years. Um, I have uh, an, an interest in economics. I studied it in college, and I've always been a student of it. I'm a CPA as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm very interested in business, but really in my world. It's not, you know, uh, you know my world is, is small. Uh, it's northwest Ohio. And, uh, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to basically uh, run a business in the midst of all the things that are going on. But I have a good sense of, you know, the things that are going on, not only in our industry, but, you know, uh, locally and, and really uh, even nationally and globally, because the auto business is a global business. So I'm kind of attuned to a lot of the things that go on. Um, you know, when we talked a couple of months ago, you know, it was basically, I think, me kind of just explaining that we are in the midst of radical mm and deep changes within our economic uh, world. Uh, and, and my economic world, again, is local, um, but, but I can feel it local. Um, you know, when we went into, I, I, I look back a year ago, when we went into lockdown back in March of last year, I remember the governor talking about it, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is just unbelievably brutal. Because I understand how economics work. And economics are not a simple system. It is a very, very complex system of economies throughout the world. And our world is so integrated in regards to uh, the supply chains, in regards to everything we do. So when, when, when 
states and governors and, 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 and countries uh, shut down, what we're doing is really throwing a whole wrench into an economic system that affects people on a very uh, different scale. Now, at the time, I recall, you know, um, uh, the governor was declaring that certain business were essential, and our business in the auto business was declared essential. And mm -hmm. I always knew it was essential. I mean, we do all the things that, uh, you know, we, we uh, you know, fix cars for, uh, for government officials and for, for highway and transportation, all the things that we need. You know, we, we, uh, we sell trucks uh, to those people as well. So, so we are very integrated in the system. I, I never doubted that we were essential. But in essence, there was a, a part of me that felt like, you know, this is somewhat arbitrary in how they're deciding who's essential and who's non-essential. I was very thankful we were essential, but it was rather arbitrary. And basically, what I, what I get at is all of a sudden, you know, you, you have, quote, a, a free economy that people are busy doing things in the economic world. And all of a sudden you have governments and, um, uh, you know, governors and mayors and, 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 and presidents telling us we can't work and can't do things and certain people are to stay home and other people aren't. And you can't just turn things off uh, for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, whatever it is, then turn it back on and think that everything is going to be normal again. It's not. The system was radically changed and mm -hmm. radically um, uh you know, destabilized, I guess. So, you know, over the last year, I look at, you know, what's happening. Um, there are certain things that I could anticipate that were going to happen at the time. I, I thought, you know, okay, economics is a simple, it's a simple formula of supply and demand. It's the most basic, uh, simple formula. And, you know, when you completely turn down the supply chain or turn it off around the world, that's a problem because we're not producing anything. Okay. Now, regardless of what demand is, if there is no supply, prices are going to go up because there is no supply. So at the time I, I anticipated, I need to buy trucks. I need to buy cars. I need to buy parts. I need mm -hmm. to be buying these things, not anticipating really what the demand side was going to be, but really understanding that there was going to be no supply. Mm -hmm. and, and so it worked out well for us. Um, and at the same time that was happening again in my world, you know, the car world, which is a huge global part, uh, a part of the global economy. But um, at the same time, all these things were happening. Then all these businesses at the same time were going out of business because, you know, there is no business. And I re recall at the time, the rental companies in particular were going into bankruptcy and they were dumping vehicles like crazy. And, um, and I, I was like, just buy, just buy. And so we mm -hmm. bought a bunch of these things. To tell you the truth, I wish I had bought more. I didn't buy mm -hmm. enough. Um, but, uh, you know, here they were, rental companies dumping, everybody's dumping inventory. We're trying to pick up what we can and understanding, I don't know what the demand side is this, of this is going to look like. Well, you know, after a, a month or two of lockdown, all of a sudden people start waking up. Uh, and, and doing, going about business slowly. And all of a sudden, demand in certain industries went through the roof. And our industry is one of them. Trucks uh, were on fire for demand. And so all of a sudden, you know, I was, I was uh, very fortunate that I had the inventory to sell them, and I quickly sold out of that. But at the same time, we saw, you know, supply change basically breaking, 
and um, you know demand coming back radically uh, high. And so, you know, what does that do? It puts it's a, puts a strain on the entire structure, and prices have gone up radically. Uh, shortages and and a lot of things have happened. Um, you know, when you destroy supply chains, there are there are no there's no supply of goods, and so. Uh, or, or it's very slow, and so this this uh, this economy over the last year has really tried to creep back and try to you know we keep on trying to get back to normal. Well, we're still not normal. Um, supply chains are still broken, um, and uh, demand has actually returned tremendously. And at the same time, you know uh, prices and virtually. Uh, a lot of industries, particularly ours, have gone through the roof. And so, you know, that's a little bit of what I experienced over the last year. Thank you. Before we turn to Drew, just to flush this out a little more. So you spoke in terms of, um, of course, the auto industry and God blessing you with some insight, uh, at least an anticipatory action to buy um, inventory that, that blessed you down the road. You didn't know where it was going to lead, but it, it worked out. Let's fill this out, though, a little more um, beyond your industry. We have a dearth in workforce as a significant factor in this economy, many uh, mom and pops, many stores uh, without labor. Um, why is that? Well, yeah, I mean, and, and it's back to, to that original point. You know, when we were declared essential business, we we're allowed to stay open. We never shut our business down. There's a whole slew of small businesses that were deemed non-essential. They shut down. Well, when you have zero revenue coming mm. in, it's not hard to anticipate your lifespan of business is going to be very short. And so uh, th that's basically what happened is all these, you know, b small businesses uh, went out of business because there, there is no revenue. At the same time, you know, the longer you shut down, the more things change. And so, you know, you can't just come back a month later and say, oh, everything's normal. I'm going to mm -hmm. bring back all my employees. Well, those employees some of them went to work in other places. Some of them stayed home because the economics were better to stay home. There's a lot of things that changed. You know, people always ask me, why, why is there no supply in, in, in cars and trucks? Well, because the economy is global. It's complex. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's so many things moving on, going on in the world. And so when you shut down parts of the world, then you just can't get going. I, another example, you know, we, we repair cars through our body shop. Um, you know, we have, uh, we're, we're fixing this, this truck and we, we see a part that we need and the parts available, uh, but this manufacturer, uh, can't get it to us because they have no workers at this point in time. So it's literally going to take weeks, maybe months to get this part because they can't get the part off the shelf to send it to us. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, all of these things are a disruption in the, in the normal economic cycle, and it affects everything else. With the new economy, I think it's a new religion coming about. And I heard one person say it's religion of the body. Like they worry, they don't care about the soul. It's just about the body. And you see that with the churches shutting down. No one really has a concept of the spirit of our soul. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. Um, in regard to... A lot of companies cannot find work. I think the main problem was you shut down everything and you gave them this massive unemployment checks. So you got your normal unemployment and then you got, I can't remember the exact amount per week, three to 600 extra. So the majority of people work in like 
as a waiter or th- those certain jobs, we get paid more just sitting around. And that lasted for a long time. I think it's up until recent, the states have actually cut back on that. I think Ohio recently has uh, to get people back to work. And I talked to some business owners they are trying to hire. You, you call those people that they had uh, working before, they didn't want to do it. They got paid more sitting at home. And I think that was a problem. You gave them an incentive to stay at home. Um, but I, I think a larger problem, and I think this is my red pill that I've taken this last year. Uh, when you take econ courses, you kind of think that there's only two forms of economic systems, which is uh, capitalism and communism. And my red pill is that both of these systems, even though they're somewhat, they're against each other, but they both lead to globalism. And you see the global effects. During this whole lockdown, what businesses really had a lot of success, saw their earnings go up? Amazon, like these global companies Mm -hmm. were benefiting as a small local businesses. And if you go back to the political aspect, liberalism hates local, anything local. Liberalism is global. Liberal, liberalism is about that's what communism is they that's why they hate local police departments they rather have uh, a federal mm-hmm. police department that's why they hate small businesses that's why they want the large businesses um and that so that's my red pill growing up as a conservative i always thought that big business is a conservative um uh frame of mind but i think that's all politics i think liberalism is capitalism it's controlled by uh, people that own it. Uh, let's say Bezos and the uh, Gates, and they all want globalism. Con- communism is the uh, political aspect um, controlled by the political leaders, but they both lead to globalism, which um, I believe is a, a bad thing. So thank you, Drew, for that. So uh, a truism is if you control information and its dissemination, you control you control the systems of a organized society. What do you both think about the proposition that in the past year and a half, we have seen unprecedented control over what is disseminated mainstream media about medicine, about economics, about a whole range of things? Have you both found that it's very difficult to find even substantiated, shall we say, contrarian views beyond a certain very narrow mainstream narrative with regard to both politics, economics, and the whole realm of things. That's a whole, that's a whole big topic in itself. I, I, I do want to touch on what um, Drew was talking about in regards to globalism, because globalism um, in and of itself isn't a bad thing, um, but it can be. And, you know, ultimately our economic systems were designed uh, so that we have, you know, more goods at lower prices. And, and things work well uh, when things are going well. And all of a sudden, when, um, when, the, when the levers of government try to control things, it changes the dynamics a great, great deal. And all of a sudden, you know, um, you know governments are kind of dictating uh, what is good and, and what is bad. DeWine shut down the state of Ohio for a number of weeks or months or whatever it was. I don't think Governor DeWine is a bad person. I think he's a very good person. But he gets information and makes decisions based on that information. I think President Trump did the same thing. He got information and and, and was told by, quote, scientists and other experts that we need to lock down. 
but the fact of the matter is it's we're looking at a small slice of what's happening. You're not looking at a big picture. And the big picture is that choices have, you know, when we make economic choices, it has economic consequences. And so you have to look at it and say, is this good or is this bad if I do this? And government getting involved in things, what, what Drew was talking about is these economic systems ultimately result in globalism. And globalism, quite frankly, could result in totalitarianism, which is a very, very bad thing. And so when, when these governments and entities start dictating you know, what is good and what is bad, you know, ultimately good and bad is defined by the state. And, and so that's not a good thing. I mean, uh, you know, we have good business people and bad business people. And by and large, free markets weed those people out. And, uh, you know, there may be bad business people who do well for a period of time. But over time, they are weeded out. Governments allow bad business to exist. It allows, um, you know, they, are, they pick and choose the winners, and um, and that's not a good thing because, you know, sometimes their winners aren't very good people or aren't very good uh, business people or, or whatever it is. I guess that's my take on, on what Drew said. If I could just give a, a metaphor, I appreciate that. A metaphor that maybe I was getting at about the information and who controls it that ties into this. And I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on it. Metaphor is the Pied Piper. So you've got uh, all these kids that are going in a particular direction because they're, if you will, hypnotized by the sound of this flute, right? <clears throat> they're following the Pied Piper. And the two questions that I think maybe we haven't asked and many most people haven't asked prior to a year ago that we need to ask is, where's the sound coming from? And where is it leading to? So we can describe it, right? Economics can be a descriptive system where we see this, in fact, is happening. Supply, demand, <clears throat> you know, all of these things happening. But I'm going a little bit deeper and asking the question, is there an ideology that is driving a lot of this? Is it just happenstance or is there an ideology that's driving this? Is there indication of it? And I realize just like economics, there's a bit of speculation there. You know, the plane is coming in at night, doesn't see the runway, but you see the lights and they form a pattern. Can we see a kind of pattern that is forming in a particular way? If you look up Great Reset, it's not a big surprise. It's not a big conspiracy sort of thing. It's out there. People talking about the Great Reset. And my best understanding of it is there are major forces in the world, in every government throughout the world, that are complicit in turning the core ideology from the dignity of the human person to uh, ideology of the globe or, or earth, and we ought to have a concern for the earth, don't get me wrong, but a fo focus and a fixation that is willing to even sacrifice things, i.e. jobs, uh, economic status, etc., for the benefit of this you know, purported danger, if you will, of, of economy and earth. At least that, that's the narrative that I see by those who are holding the strings, playing the, the you know, kind of great reset ideology. I'm asking the question, is that just Greg uh, myth, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, weaving story? Or is there something to be said for forces that are moving here that we ought to be aware of? But uh, Ephesians 6.12, we fight not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And these forces are really playing out in these circumstances of which we speak. If you go to a communist society like China, the, the government controls everything. Those doctors that came out saying lockdowns are bad from California, who shut them down? It wasn't the government shut them down. It was big business. Google shut them down, threw them off YouTube. All their videos are done. And then eventually, I think they got in trouble with their medical. So when I look at things like that, what are the powers to be? 
when when we talk about the great reset when they met in uh davos or davos um uh i think trump went there and he kind of like blasted them uh america's great a couple years back and that's why they hate him but who's there you're, you're talking about all the big time oligarchs from technology you got visa ceo of visa there mastercard it is the real driving force of the capitalist society is this big business and when you go to the globalist society they are controlling everything and if you look at all the big businesses and if you guys notice in the news everybody is woke in the business besides the local business small businesses aren't every single big business i can't think of one big business other than mcdonald's is the only business that has not been woke like they don't get woke hmm. it's kind of funny um there is a driving force that is if you want to participate and get wealthy in this global economy, you have to play by the rules. And I don't think it's a coincidence that every single CEO is a, um, um, a liberal aspect or uh, liberalism they present. It's that if you want to participate, you have to play by these rules. If you don't play by the rules, if you guys remember the story of Parler, they were the number one app, the number one social media platform during uh, right after the election. And instantly on a Friday, big business got together, Apple kicked them off, Google kicked them off the phones. And then Sunday night, two days later, Amazon was the web host service, eliminated their thing. Uh, they all got together and did it. So if you don't play by the rules, if you don't participate, you get shut down. And I think that's a scary thing. Now, what's the driving force? Communism is the in-your-face government intrusion we're going to take over capitalism is a slow process to get to globalism and uh like what chesterson chesterton said the problem about capitalism is too few own capital hmm. um and and i'll tell you and this is kind of off subject um if you look at what the popes have taught in the 1800s if you look at um actually what the catholic church has always stood for is more of a dis distributive distributism um, way of uh, things where the individual owns capital. Um, and I know we don't have time to go into that into this radio show, but I think they're, you know, learning about economics. There's other economic systems that is a Catholic worldview that brings everything to the local level. And I think that's important in government and in business. Well, and I, I do like your ideas in regards to big business has really controlled governments and, and, and it may not have been you know, may have been that working that way, but you have governments complicit with, with big business and so forth. So you have a group of people who are making decisions, a lot of them bad uh, for, for our local economies. And so that it has been uh, stressful. And, and you are correct in regards to, you know, all of a sudden there are certain rules that you have to play by if you want to, if you want to be in business. And, you know, by and large, at the local level, those rules don't necessarily apply unless you live in certain places, like maybe Minneapolis or, or you know, I, you know you, I, I've walked through uh, St. Paul and Minneapolis and you see signs on, on, the, uh, on windows that basically say, you know, you know, we support George Floyd, we support Black Lives Matter, we support these things. Because if they don't, they're afraid that their windows will get uh, broken into mm -hmm. it. And people thieve their their uh, their businesses. So so there is kind of this uh, complicity in in regards to okay, I have to play by the rules if I am going to survive, and that's that's ultimately a very very bad thing. 
I just want to read from the World Economic Forum because it ties in these matters of economy and capitalism, globalism, etc., and Great Reset. So basically, I'm just going to read right from this page because it's the narrative that I think underlies a lot of this. And again, I, who's controlling this, right? And why is it the contrarian views are pushed off of the major media platform? So COVID-19 lockdowns may be gradually easing, but anxiety about the world's social and economic prospects is only intensifying. There's good reason to worry. A sharp economic downturn has already begun, and we could be facing the worst depression since the 1930s. But while this outcome is likely, it is not unavoidable. To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. And then it goes on to explain all of these reasons. Now, I'm just, I'm pulling a page more because I was more attuned to the, shall we say, the pharma industrial complex and how the major media drivers were complicit in advancing the vaccines, which were emergency with, you know, Robert Malone, of course, created the mRNA technology. He's become a little bit famous in the last two months for coming out and not dismissing the technology. The guy created it. But talking about the degree to which the concerns have been in entirely suppressed. And of course, we've known through the last year, why is it that when you have great testimony by peer-reviewed doctors, the Great Barrington Declaration, over 5,000 doctors, talking about things like ivermectin, which is a very um, effective, has been a very effective remedy, if you will, to things like, uh, you know, COVID-19. Why is it that that has been completely suppressed? So I'm just, I'm raising the question here that we're operating in a world where versus five years ago, we don't have all of the data. We're, we're not allowed to see the right data that's giving us insights into things that are happening. And as you described, Rich, in the very beginning, edified by um, you, Drew, also, there does seem to be some controlling forces that are playing out that are more than happenstance. And I know that this sounds somewhat conspiratorial, but I think we see at least a portrait of things that are causing concern. So let's shift, if you don't mind. There's things playing out. It's beyond our control. We see you know, businesses that are, a lot of them are failing because they're are workers and they don't want to work because they're getting handouts just announced this past week another round of handouts of money we don't have what is that going to do to our economy what is it going to do this helicopter money so to speak that the government keeps printing out what what do you intuit is the end game i mean what is ha- why is this happening what is happening what can we hope to happen and at the same time just want to raise the question the china factor i mean everything i'm reading in the wall street journal and objective forces are kind of showcasing the dominance that China is having in almost every area. Um, are these legitimate concerns and what do they mean for us right now? You hear about what they're doing like every month, depending on how many kids you have, depending on their age, you get a certain amount of money. And I was like, when I first looked it up, I thought it was like a new stimulus. No, but it's next year's tax returns. They're trying to give it to us each month and they increased, uh, Trump increased at 2000 per kid. Now it's like 3000, right? So I was thinking about that. Why are they doing next year's per month now? So what is the end game? This is my opinion. Is they're trying to get the American public used to a universal basic income. They're trying to get us used to getting this paychecks each month. Oh, I can get my roof done because I can expect this money. I can get that. And I think it's a preparation to 
do some kind of money handouts to everybody like a universal basic income to get that started. Um, the, the first, it was Andrew Yang. He talked about since technology was increasing, he could do all the jobs. He made a massive assumption thinking about the future that we should have this. And there, I think they're jumping the gun way, like really quick. And they're trying to get us kind of prepped in, uh, uh, kind of dependent on it, you know? Why, why, Drew? If you, if that's your in- intuition, I know that's speculation, and I know that maybe plays out more in the conspiratorial kind of script. Why? I mean, I mean, we as has been said, you know, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other ones that have been tried from time to time. There's no civilization that has ever been known that has surpassed the United States in terms of the 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 benefit, the health, the opportunity, the prosperity, the care uh, as the United States. Uh, and I began with that quote from Tolkien, in that you know we're dealing now with people who didn't live in fighting world wars. They didn't live under communism or socialism or fascism. They don't know what it was like. And and you know. Who would have ever thought in this last political cycle that we would have even seen the slightest uh, popularity of socialism, much less candidates who tout that name, much less a whole platform touting that name and its elements? If you look at back in the day, families had the capital to take care of their family by food. They had the capital to take care. They didn't care about if big business said you had to take a shot, if you had to be woke, if you had to do things. They Mm. could take care of their family on their own. And in today's society, if, if my employer says you don't have a job anymore, I'm in trouble. If you go way back 100 years ago, when people owned the, their own capital, right, and the company did that, it didn't matter. You couldn't, you couldn't force a populace to believe a certain thing or uh, to play by the game, by the rules, because they could take care of their family. Today, we can't. Um, so what are they trying to do? This is, of course, like conspiracy, is that... Universal basic income, if, if people are dependent on not just their employer, if they're dependent on the government giving them paychecks each month, you can make anybody believe what they want because they got to take care of their family. I mean, you're, gonna, and you're not going to play by the rules. You're going to have your, your, your check cut. You're not going to play by the rules. You're not going to have as much money. Who knows? Um, I mean, I think that if you look at a communist aspect, why do they want to have that? They have total control over the populace. Uh, right away, what's the number one thing communists do? They take over uh, the economic system and they hate one thing is private property. They hate that people could take care of themselves. So they take that away and they have to be dependent on somebody else. And if you, I mean, American society, uh, if, if you had an economic collapse, how many people could take care of themselves? I don't know if I can. I mean, I don't have the job, the uh, skill set to actually go farm and you know do that kind of stuff. I'm dependent on so much in my life. Rich, speak into this. You've got some some people dependent upon you. Salaries dependent upon you. You need to see parts. You need to see cars. You need to see inventory. You need to sell them. You need to, people to have money to actually buy them. And uh, I don't. know, How is what we're saying uh, connecting with you? Well, I I look back and you know again I. You know, I don't know why things happen. I, I, I can speculate and, and all, like we all do, you know, but you look at the last year, it's really been a prescription to basically uh, to make the rich richer. You know, I mean, you know, the big business has gotten wealthy beyond wealthy over the last year. The poor have become much, much poorer and more dependent on government. And certainly, you know, that's a bad thing, as Drew uh, just talked about. So these are, are, you know, bad things. At the same time, you look at the United States, and the United States has always been independent 
you know, we've always been able to produce uh, things on our own. And over the last year, we've become less independent and more dependent on the world. And part of that is, you know, we've opened the, the money spigots in order to uh, stop uh, the economy from collapsing over the last year. It was done through monetary policy and through fiscal policy with Congress. And they keep spending money and our, you know, our, our uh, debt has gone through the roof. And, 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 and so the United States is very much more vulnerable today than we were a year ago. Hmm. And, and so, you know, not only is it, you know, governments controlling people, but it's, it's, you know, the wealthy and big business controlling world governments even. You know, we could, the United States has held the world reserve currency since the end of World War II. I think the Great Reset is basically saying, you're not going to hold that any longer. And mm -hmm. how's that going to happen? Well, it's happening before our eyes. And that's the inflation that we're beginning to see. And ultimately, you know, we'll transact in dollars, but those dollars are going to be worth a whole lot less than they are today. And so, uh, and, and so what does that do? Well, the rich get richer because in inflation, they have assets, they get wealthier, and the poor get poorer. Why? Because they don't have assets. And the, co you know, the cost of housing, the cost of food, the cost of transportation, all the things we need is now beyond our means to pay for it. And so we're all then dependent on government. And that is a very, very bad thing. And so, yeah, in regards to control, you know, totalitarian regimes control people by these very means. You know, if I control their ability to make money, uh, to, to basically transact in, in regular uh, everyday life, then I control them and I can tell them what to do. And all of a sudden when, you know, I say lock down or do this or do that, it's pretty simple. I mean, China was able to lock down their economy and portions of their economy very easily because they have a population that is very much uh, dependent on, on the government for their means of survival. And so they do what the government says. The United States is more and more over the last year getting to that point, and that's a scary thing. Ultimately, we, you know, it's a whole lot better if, if, we, if, if economy is local and we survive local and we depend on one another. You know, and, and to Drew's point, that's what the church has always said, you know, going back many centuries. Communism and totalitarianism is evil. You know, the more we can transact at the local level and do things through our labor, through our hard work, through our own diligence, the better off we are as a society. Are there any outstanding takeaways, if you will, some important things that have been left unsaid that you really want to punctuate? I want to mention um, as a faithful Catholics that God and family should be number one, number two in our lives. And we talked about the economic system, how home prices are going up. And some people might think that's a good thing. Well, home isn't necessarily an investment. It's the home of the family. And with these home prices going up is not a good thing because our children growing up, it's going to be so hard for them to purchase a house that can raise a family because mm -hmm. of these skyrocketing prices. And um, we have to be attentive to that. That uh, part of the reason is, is because you have a lot of financial companies purchasing property, taking up the supply. You actually have foreign countries buying a lot of our land. And I think it's an unfortunate thing in our system that, um, many people, conservatives might think it's a good thing having your home go up, but I don't think it is for our, for our children. And I think 
that should be something that um, politically that we should be working towards um, trying to fix that problem. Thank you. Rich? Yeah, I mean, as an employer, I do have a great responsibility to our employees and their families. I mean, it is, you know, I take that very seriously. And, and whenever I hire somebody, I think about, you know, I'm making a long-term commitment to this person, not a short-term one. Because if, if, if uh, things go the other way, I, you know, I made a commitment to this person that I will stick with that person through thick and thin. So I have a great responsibility. I also want to discuss, you know, early on I had talked about, you know, all the things that were happening in our economy and maybe some bad choices that were made in regards to the lockdowns and other things. What I, I want to make sure that I don't um, minimize the impact of COVID in the economy. I understand that it, it's a pandemic, um, that it, 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 it was a very, very bad thing. In fact, one of our employees is struggling uh, for his life. And I, you know, I have a great responsibility to that person. Um, but on the other hand, um, we talked about there's economic choices that we make, you know, that are good and bad. And sometimes we, we make choices to, to thinking we are doing some good when in fact we are probably creating longer harm and or, or harm mm -hmm. that, that is going to be greater in the long run. And, you know, during the midst of the lockdowns, I, I re remember the UN coming out saying, you know, there's going to be massive poverty and mal malnutrition and starvation around the world to the tune of millions of people as a result of these uh, COVID lockdowns. Well, you know, we're in the midst of that now, the repercussions of all the things mm. that were happening. And so the question is, as, as employers, as, as uh, business people, but also as just everyday people, how do we move going forward? And, you know, I, the the simple prescription, you know, a recession is when your is when your neighbor gets unemployed, and a depression is when I'm unemployed. You know, we are in the midst of a recession, depression. That's that's you know, it's very difficult for a lot of people. And as we talked about, there's a good portion of the population that is really struggling uh, to make ends meet uh, on an everyday life, and and so we feel our hearts feel for them. Um, so what can we do? Uh, as as uh, you know, as as employers, as as people at the, at the church and so on, obviously to support our neighbors, to do to be good citizens, to do everything we can, and also to prepare. You know, maybe for the next crisis as mm -hmm. well. How do I prepare for it? Well, you know, I at the beginning of this crisis, I sat down with our employees. I said, you should have, you know, a month to two months of food sitting on the shelves. You know. Uh, we, we saw that in the midst of crisis last year, everyone ran for toilet paper, you know, and, and if, you, if you had too much of it, you were considered a hoarder. Well, in the next crisis, you don't want to be considered a hoarder if you're going to, to get food. You need to have that on the shelf and be prepared. So to the best that people can be, they should be prepared for crisis. And that happens, you know, like uh, storms in Texas or, you know, uh, you know, wherever we are, you know, anything could happen, tornadoes or natural disasters or whatever, but also uh, man-made disasters like lockdowns and other things like that that create uh, havoc in our world. And we have to be prepared uh, for those things. And then, you know, obviously supporting, you know, you know, uh, we we support uh, our neighbors 
uh, and we, we worship God and ask for his strength and just pray that uh, as families and as uh, people of God that we can get through uh, these times. Fabulous, Rich. I am struck by the thought that systems cannot love, only people can. I'll say that again. It's sort of this Catholic principle of subsidiarity that systems cannot love, only people can, and subsidiarity, that we take care of those closest to us, that we demonstrate love by being attuned to the needs of those closest to us, and from our own resources, we care for them. Another way of putting this is the government does not have a cape, that it's not the president or principals or pastors, ultimately, who are responsible for our salvation. It's going to be parents. It's going to be us in the saddle, equipped with blessings to be blessers. And I've always known both of you to be uh, of that heart and mind. And I think maybe if there's any real shining light from the clouds of the past year in darkness, it's the emergence of the awareness that, that we are ennobled. That we are are gifted with certain gifts, certainly material, but spiritual, uh, a whole realm of gifts that God has given us for the purpose of loving, that whole twofold love of God and love of neighbor. The elephant in the room, though, and just uh, we'll conclude with this, is the political situation. We know in the catechism we are called to be engaged in organized society and determining uh, a just society and that the norm for that is the dignity of the human person. That is the guide. That is the norm. That there are decisions that are being made that we are working for decisions that will accomplish the good of the human person. Of course, preeminent is life without which we have no liberty or pursuit of happiness. Abortion remains the most catastrophic um, thing that we are dealing with as a culture. Duly noted. But let me ask this question. With all that we're talking about, is there one party that that stands out more today as more corresponding to the dignity of the human person and kind of organized society that's conducive to the dignity of the human person? Clearly, um, you know, the Democratic Party has has taken on a whole slew of uh, problematic uh, philosophies, including abortion up to the uh, point of birth, which is, and maybe even beyond birth, which is pure evil. Mm. And, and let's just state what it is. It's pure evil. Um, you know, at the same time, I'm not exactly thrilled with some of the Republicans that I personally have voted for in the past either. I mean, uh, they are failing us as well. We're starting to see some politicians stand out amongst others, and it's going to take a whole lot of courage for people to, uh, to stand for God, to stand for uh, liberty, to stand for justice, uh, to stand against um, the killing of the unborn. We pray for them every day that we will elect people who do the right thing and, uh, and, and basically put God first and, uh, and, and take care of neighbors as well. Very well put. Drew? Obviously, the Republican Party uh, is the pro-life party um, that stands for those values and the Democratic Party, not just abortion. I mean, they're pro uh, against what marriage has always been in the church. They're uh, with this gender confusion. So you can tell it's as evil what is coming out of the party. Um, but on the same token, um, I think a lot of Republicans, even though they say they're pro-life, I believe that they're both all for the globalist aspect of they're not looking out for uh, the citizens of the United States. They're not looking for how can we make people that live here better? It's always the global aspect of how we can participate into that. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously it, there's going to be some major issues if you voted for a Democrat 
um, um, for the stances that they have. I mean, it's just uh, pure evil, a lot of things that they stand for. We're going to land this in just a moment, but it, uh, we got to put you on the spot. Got to have a little bit of edginess as we land here. But at this point, is there any particular politician that is impressing you right now? I do have a name in mind, by the way. I'm going to say Ron DeSantis down in Florida. I would agree. I would like to see some more time go by and see if he gets some more pressure, if he stands strong for what he believes in. He doesn't back down. Um, one thing about a politician they always want, they want power. And sometimes they look at the situation that they're in now. How can I get the most power? But I agree with you. Uh, right now, I do like him a lot. Um, I just want to see what happens next year or two. Well, and I, I think our, our system of government is so divided. And so, you know, when um, you talk about a certain Republican, uh, then half the population is, is, you know, that's evil. And if you talk about a Democrat, that the other half is that's evil. Um, so I do think that um, we, are, we need to have courageous Democrats, to tell you the truth, because ultimately um, they would have more sway Congress in the world uh, to do these things. And um, so I think we need courageous uh, Democrats to, to step up. Folks, you're tuning to Ignite Radio Live. We are so blessed that you are with us having a conversation about our current economic situation. Obviously, looking through the lens of theology, through God's lens, what is happening in the world today? And I want to shift in these last few moments to a consideration of how do we as faith-filled Catholics respond? Things have always been challenged. Things have always been um, an occasion for us to be anchored, Matthew 7, on solid rock versus shifting sands. Maybe even just start there, that there's going to be storms. That's the constant. They're going to be tossing us and turning us. And uh, it's our choice, though. Can we be anchored in Christ? Can we seek him? So just just, just some lasting thoughts, Drew and uh, Rich. What are some go-tos for you to stay anchored? Me and my family, we always do the daily rosary. I always recommend that to uh, families. It's a good way for the kids to learn the gospels, many promises guaranteed from the mother of God. Um, and uh, back to, um, that keeps us anchored. And back to the point is that um, as consumers, we should focus on buying local best we can instead of getting lazy, which I'm guilty of going to Amazon. Look at a local company that you could purchase from. I think local dealings that we could do is the best um, solution to our problems uh, economically. Great suggestions, Rich. Well, you know, in the midst of storms, it's always been community and in the church that uh, people, you know, congregate around. And that's, you know, where it will go back to, you know, if things get continue to get worse. And I, I think, you know, uh, what could happen over the over the course of this year, next year, or whenever? But uh, I mean, certainly we keep hearing about maybe additional lockdowns, maybe you know all these things that could happen. I, I look at like Texas, uh, you know, losing electric for a week this past winter. You know, what what do people do mm -hmm. in the times of crisis and, and turmoil? Well, obviously, prayer is is what we have to be anchored in. You know, the, the mass is crucial for our very uh, livelihoods and 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 uh, the Eucharist is is so important to our everyday life. And beyond that, you know, God said, you know, love me and love your neighbor. And those two things are, you know, codependent. I mean, we have to love God and love our neighbor uh, in order for us to 
you know, to get through the, the crisis that, uh, that we are in and uh, that we are uh, likely to see going forward. Folks, thanks so much for being tuned into Ignite Radio Live. We're talking about a changing of the tide and in many images in the gospel of Christ being on the water and stormy seas and him calming the seas and him speaking to the seas, right? And even walking on the water. He is the Lord over the water. He's Lord over the tide. Just join us in this very moment in declaring Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord over all. Of all the things that we have zero control over, we do have control over this moment, this sacred moment, this I am moment and to say, Lord, inhabit this heart that you made for yourself. I want to know you more completely. I want to live for you. I want to be your presence to my spouse, to my family, to my world. Imagine if right now, brothers and sisters, we did this more earnestly. I'm convinced that that is the cornerstone of civilization. That's the cornerstone of politics, of economics, of every other thing. This one consequential thing we can do right now. So that's my prayer that's on my heart. By the way, I do want to invite you all who are listening right now to come to our Belief and Beverages Nights. What are these? They're free the third Thursday of every month, 6.30 p.m. Great occasion of prayer, great occasion of a message of formation of community, and uh, really to unite this region across whatever ministries, whatever churches you go to, to unite us in a sense of prayerful attunement to the heart of God in making a difference. You can find out more at massimpact.us forward slash BNB, massimpact.us forward slash BNB. Till next time, thanks so much, Rich and Drew, for being with us. God bless you. (laughs) 